0: Good to be with you all this morning. I've been in this sanctuary many a time as I came here for meetings or for ordination interviews, but it's a beautiful thing to be in this sanctuary for worship. Before we get to today's passage, I want to talk about how we get to it. Jesus... We think about Jesus and we think about this great teacher and healer. We think about Savior and friend. Jesus was making a name for himself. All the people were talking about this Jesus of Nazareth. He had raised a young girl from the dead. He was healing people. He was reaching out to the outcasts and making them whole again. All the people were hearing about him and talking about him and hoping against hope that he might be the one that they had been waiting for for generations. He was also making a name for himself with the religious leaders and the political leaders. Because as one of my seminary professors said, if you say the gospel is enough, it seems like Jesus would wake up on the Sabbath, excited about how can I irritate the Jewish religious leaders today? They were anxious because all the people were talking. They were scared of a possible rebellion. They were scared of just what might come. Everyone was talking about Jesus. And so leading up to today's passage in Luke 9, we see Jesus feed the 5,000, or really the 25,000, since they didn't count the women or children. Another great miracle. And then we we see Jesus asking his disciples, well, who do the people say that I am? And they're throwing out all these possibilities, and then Jesus turns and says to them, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who says, you're the Messiah, the Christ. And he's gotten it right, but... But even then, they did not yet understand what that meant. Because they all thought and hoped that God's Messiah would be this earthly king. To give them power, to give them hope in this present world. They didn't yet understand, and I can so understand why. Because it's still... It still puts me at all of what God's plan, what this Messiah would be. And shortly after Peter tells Jesus that you're the Messiah, Jesus tells them what it means to follow him, if that's who they believe he is. And he says, to be my disciple, first you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Which means taking up pain and suffering and possible death and shame and humiliation every day. And follow me. And he tells them, Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And that's where we come to today's passage. Luke 9, verses 28 through 36, where it reads, Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. I'll offer the the different translation of this second part of verse 32. But when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, "Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings: one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to be very honest with you all about this Transfiguration passage and Transfiguration Sunday. For years, I didn't really care for it. I saw it as this moment this Sunday before Ash Wednesday leading us into Lent. And it's a beautiful passage, though. The disciples who go with Jesus getting to see him in his full glory. But my view of Transfiguration Sunday in this passage deepened and changed when I found a poem by Madeline Lingle, who wrote A Wrinkle in Time. And I want to read for us all this poem this morning and for it to frame our conversation around this passage. Suddenly they saw him the way he was, the way he really was all the time. Although they had seen it before, the glory which blinds the everyday eye and so becomes invisible. This is how he was, radiant, brilliant, carrying joy like a flaming sun in his hands. This is the way he was, is from the beginning, and we cannot bear it. So he manned himself, came manifest to us, And there on the mountain, they saw him, really saw him, saw his light. We all know that if we really see him, we die. Then, perhaps, we will see each other too. So this morning I want us to talk about God says in the passage, listen to him. And for me, as I reflected more and more on this passage, especially in, uh, in the, after reading this poem, the power of listening with our hearts. Because there's something so precious about the hearts that God has given us to listen and to see with them. To see God and to see one another. Working as a chaplain at the hospital, I work mainly with cancer patients, but also with uh, stroke patients, psych patients, neuro patients. And at the end of every day, I, I pray for them. And my deepest prayer for all these patients, no matter where they are, is for them to see the glory of God. I'm not going to get into a theological conversation about glory because there's no point at times in theological conversations, but the heart conversation for me about glory, about God's glory is that in seeing God's glory, the disciples that day saw and realized that God had come. Or as we celebrate at Christmas, Emmanuel, God, with us. That the glory of God is the gift to our eyes and our hearts and our lives that God who created us and calls us into being and knows all of our mistakes and our greatest shames, sees us as beloved and worthy of coming into this world for us. That the glory of God is the truth and reality of a God who is present and cares. The God who reminds us we are redeemed every day. I don't know what's going to happen with any of my patients or any of the people I love. But my deepest prayer has become for them to see the glory of God. The presence of a loving God wherever they are. And a beautiful thing about today's passage is right after Jesus leaves this mountain and they have witnessed the glory of God with their own eyes, Jesus encounters a mob of people, all wanting something. The glory of God, they don't see it as evidently is right there, just as it's always been right in the midst of people's needs and greatest longings. The glory of God isn't just with us on the mountaintops, but in the valley loaves. And in the every day of our deepest desires and needs. But sometimes it is so hard to see Because sometimes I know I get stuck just wanting to see uh, to see what I want to see. I want to see. I want to see the glory of God fall upon the people in the Ucr- in Ukraine in a real, intangible way. But all I can hope and pray right now is that the glory of God shows up for them as I saw videos and pictures of NICU babies in a bomb shelter. I want to see the glory of God fall upon so many people who got bad news this week and don't know what's going to happen and pray with all their might that God will intervene some way in a miracle. I want to see the glory of God fall upon our land where it seems that no matter what happens, there's still so much division. Even in the church at times where it becomes about our differences instead of who we have in common. With all my heart, That's my greatest prayer, for the glory of God to be revealed and seen and experienced and so incredibly present so that no matter what happens, we know that God is with us. It's, and the poem Madeline Lingle wrote, they saw him, really saw him, saw his light. We all know that if we really see him, we die. And perhaps we will see each other too. I, I lead a Bible study for college students on Wednesday nights, and, and we are talking about working in our lives, and something so interesting happened that night as as everyone was sharing, and I realized no one was sharing from their own life. Everyone was sharing about someone else. Everyone was sharing about the hope that they had for the truth of God because of how they had seen God work in someone else's life. and I started thinking and and realizing that night what it means when we're looking for God's glory when we take the time to, to look at one another not just what we may hold that's different or similar But when we look at one another and we see someone who God loves just as deeply as God loves me, it's all those college students for sharing about someone in their lives And from that person's life, they were encouraged that God is real and true and alive and at work. And because God loves them and has worked in that that person's life, God can work in them. That God's glory gives hope and new sight. God's glory gives us the eyes to truly see each other. It also made me think in the passage before when Jesus told his disciples that to follow him we must first deny ourselves, take up a cross daily, and follow. That perhaps it's not just about Say no to something, but it's about saying yes to seeing God's glory, about saying, God, give me your eyes and your love to see this person who right now I really don't want to get along with. God, give me your eyes and your heart to work in this situation that I just want to run from. God, give me your heart and your courage for this day. I remember a few years ago in worship, there was a new young couple that only the the worship minister and I knew. And they had come the morning after uh, losing two of their friends to a just tragic tragic act of violence, and they came to worship. The husband was a new Christian, and they were just in tears the entire service. And no one else knew them. By the end of worship that day, I saw the glory of God when this woman, who's very shy, very quiet, did not know them, get up from her seat during the last song and she crossed the entire worship space and she put her arms around him and she began to pray. And she and I did breakfast a few weeks later and I asked her what led her to do this because I know her pretty well. And she said, everything in me wanted me to stay in my seat. She said, but I'm a mom and we're in God's house and we're family. I didn't know him, but I knew he needed someone to hug him and to pray for him. She was like, I didn't listen to myself. I listened to my heart because my body was planted in my seat. Sometimes denying ourselves is about having the courage to go and show compassion or a hug or a prayer with someone we may not know, to do something that may be uncomfortable because there's something pulling at us in our hearts. And that woman, even though I tried to tell her, she'll never understand. How that hug and that prayer for that couple that day was very much God present with them in a way that they didn't know that they needed. And they still talk about that hug and that prayer three years later. Sometimes it takes retraining our hearts and our minds about what we're listening to. We live in a world where it so easily becomes about me, myself, and my people, where it's about what's on the college resume or getting that job, getting that promotion, providing for our families, providing for the people we love, getting things done that we need to do. I'm a checklist person. I make it every day. And if I don't finish it, it drives me crazy. But sometimes being a Christian means setting that list aside and retraining our hearts. One of my friends, she has two young children, and she told me something this past year that has stuck with me. She has a daughter in preschool and a son in elementary school. And she said, I realized something. She said, every day when they came home from school, I was asking them how school was, how their homework was. I was asking my son what grades he made. She started asking different questions one day. Her first question became, what is something kind you did for someone? Or what is something loving that you did? What is the way that you saw God at work in your day? How did you let God use you to show his love today? Those became her first questions to her children every day. And she said, Suddenly my kids came home not first telling me about their school or what they learned, but first that they came home and they first told me how they saw God or what was something kind they did. She looked at me and she said, I realized that's that's something That never happened to me, but I wanted my children to know this is what's more important than anything else. Being kind and loving people of God. Sometimes listening with our hearts means reframing the conversations, the questions we ask even ourselves. Not about how did we succeed, but how are we loving How are we kind? How did we look for God? How did we glimpse the glory of God that is all around us? Sometimes we just need to listen to our hearts and to trust that when we listen to our heart, we will see the glory of God right here whether we're on the mountaintop or the valley low or in the boring everyday life where we sometimes forget to open up our hearts and see. There's something so powerful when we listen with our hearts and look at one another and respond as God has called us to to live in this world. Suddenly we'll start to see God's glory breaking in all around. And that may make all the difference that we may need for that day or that someone else may need and talk about three years later. All we have to do is listen with our hearts and trust God to lead us.